HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Just shoot that trailer out that movie yard. Just shoot that trailer out of that movie yard. Just shoot that trailer out of that movie yard. Hello, Greenhorns Radio here, and this is Severin, your host. Uh, this is Radio for Young Farmers by Young Farmers, brought to you every week on the Heritage Radio Network, sponsored by Hearst Family Ranch. And this week, we are broadcasting from Island Meadow Farm in Washington State, and joined on the phone by Cody Hopkins of Falling Sky Farm out in Marshall, Arkansas. Cody, are you here? I'm here. Thanks for having me. Can you hear me? I can, loud and clear. Oh, good. I can hear you, too. It's very nice to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks. Glad to be here. So we had interviewed someone previously um, who is also farming near Little Rock. I think he's in Benton. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, no, I don't. Do you have his name? Well, I, have to, I have to go through the archive because I think that you guys probably know each other. My guess is, but yeah, it's a pretty case, small community here, so uh, I would uh, assume we do. I would, I would assume, I would hope. Now, let's talk about Falling Sky Farm. And first of all, why the heck do you call it Falling Sky Farm? <laughs> well, um, we, uh, so we're a livestock farm, a pastured livestock farm. And when we started out, our sort of the, the main thing, well, the first livestock we started out with were chickens. And um, when I was asking around, asking friends for suggestions for farm names, and one suggested a uh, uh, Falling Sky Farm, uh, kind of a play on Chicken Little, and uh, we thought it was cute. And, um, you know, it, it kind of, uh, it's tongue-in-cheek, you know, there's uh, often people talk about, you know, all the, uh, the issues that our generation faces, like climate change and the overuse of non-renewable resources and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, um, and, and so I kind of think that, uh, that farming this way, sustainable farming, could potentially be uh, a way to mitigate some of those, you know, climate change and a way to get away from using so many non-renewable resources. And, and uh, so maybe the sky really, you know, maybe that's sort of the story of Chicken Little and uh, the sky isn't falling, it's, we just thought it was. We just thought it was, but we're going to we're going to hunker down and raise raise um, grass grass fed animals and not worry too much 
or at least so try to make a difference. So you're raising chickens, and you started out with chickens, but you're also raising beef and duck and turkey and pork and eggs. And um, let's talk about the sequence of those enterprises and how you built your business and how long it took. Sure. Well, we started in 2006. Uh, my partner, Andrea, and I, um, like so many people, we read The Omnivore's Dilemma and heard about Joel Salatin's story and, and just were immediately inspired. And um, so, uh, you know, we, were, we live in an economically challenged area of the Arkansas Ozarks, about 100 miles north of Little Rock. And I'd sort of put it in perspective, the median per capita income around here is about or below $13,000. So, um, well, so, yeah, pretty so economically challenged. The land must challenged. be pretty affordable. What's that? So the land must be pretty affordable. That's right. That's one of the benefits for sure is uh, we do have access to fairly cheap land as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, up in the northeast or west coast. Um, and so, um, you know, we were uh, looking for a way for – Andrea and I both have college degrees, but we want to live in a rural area, and, and this one in particular. And so we were looking for a way to, to make a living, a way that we thought was, you know, environmentally responsible and that would benefit the community and, and doing something that we wanted to do. And so um, we, uh, you know, we started – we just sort of – after reading about Joel Salatin, we thought, you know, gosh, we could really, you know, we got to give this a shot and see if we can do this because, you know, um, uh, sort of put the economics to the test. And so what we did, we started out with chickens in 2007, spent 2006 sort of, you know, gathering information and trying to find some land and ended up uh, uh, convincing a neighbor to allow us to have a, a five-year free lease on 40 acres and uh, she was excited about sort of what we were doing, and and so we um, we started with the 40 acres. About 20 of it was pasture. Started out with the broilers, the meat chickens, and then added some laying hens. And then in 2008, we uh, pretty much went to full-time farming, and we added some beef, and then did turkeys. And then in 2009, we added ducks, and then this year uh, we've added pigs, and so. Um, just, uh, you know, we've gone from, you know, we're certainly, you know, <laughs> uh, at this point we're full-time farmers and it's, uh, it takes all the time we have. And, uh, I, I just, we just recently been plucking ducks and I wonder, uh-huh. um, uh, have you plucked your ducks yet? Yes. And, um, uh, so the duck plucking what we... process because it's very frustrating on our end. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, the key is getting a good scald in your scalder, and so we usually scald at about 148 degrees, and for our chickens, uh, we do, um, we use a rotary scalder, and when we put the chickens in, uh, we uh, let them run in the scalder for about a minute, and then they go in the plucker, and in about 15 to 20 seconds, they're, they're clean, and uh, for a duck, it's a lot, it's uh, different. Uh, we use um, the same time on the, in the scalder, but we'll do it twice. So we'll do two minutes in the scalder and then put it in the plucker for a whole minute and then put it back in the scalder for one more run of a minute and then back in the, scal- back in the plucker. And so it essentially goes through the scalder three times and then the plucker for almost two minutes. And there's still feathers on them we have to pick off. They're, they're uh, pretty tough to pick clean. So, so just to review, the duck pluck procedure is one minute scald, one minute 
pluck. One minute scald, one minute pluck, one minute scald, one minute pluck. No, uh, two minutes scald. Got it. One minute pluck, one minute scald, and then about a one minute pluck. But it's worth it because ducks are so delicious. Yeah, they are. They're really good, and um, we've uh, you know had a really good response to them. A lot of restaurants, especially, really like them. Now you guys are 100 miles north of Little Rock, and you are mm-hmm. shuttling some food down to restaurants. It sounds like. What are your What are your other market venues, and and how has the how have those grown with your business? What's that sure. been like? Well, uh, one of the challenges that uh, we face in Arkansas, and I'm sure other farmers around the country face, is you know. Uh, Arkansas is not very populated. Um, there are, you know, a couple of dense population areas, uh, like in central Arkansas and northwest uh, Arkansas, and then you have these pretty, um, you know, unpopulated rural areas around. And so, uh, farmers have to be creative. They have to team up and work together. Um, we have a couple of farmers around here that will, um, you know, will often have them take some product down for us and. And um, and so we mainly market in central Arkansas to Little Rock and the surrounding areas. And uh, and initially we were hoping we could do a lot more marketing um, in our area, but uh, it just really hasn't happened yet. Uh, you know, we do some for sure, but just the majority by far is in central Arkansas. And the it's- venues we use are... Um, I mean, when we started this, it seemed like the local food movement was just kind of kicking off here uh, in central Arkansas. And so uh, we got in at a good time, um, and there were a lot of opportunities to sort of help um, construct the local food system, and there's still tons of those opportunities here. But, you know, we found very quickly that, um, first of all, there weren't a lot of people doing meat yet. Um, and restaurants weren't used to buying, like, maybe a frozen chicken. They always wanted fresh chickens, and, and um, we, uh, you know, there were farmer's markets, but a lot, you know, a couple of them had never had meat there before, and so we helped sort of break some of those barriers. But, um, and so, so the, we this, do... So this is a very typical thing you're describing, where if you're in a kind of nascent local food system and you're the new kid on the block, there's opportunities that come with that because... Everyone's so excited for your new fabulous local product, but they aren't necessarily accustomed to dealing with the way that you're going to deliver it. That's right, and we certainly can, you know, that's certainly our story. And um, so, yeah, we do farmer's markets. One of, the mar- uh, one of the markets that we're really excited about is a, it's a certified Arkansas farmer's market. There's an organization in, Arkansas, in central Arkansas especially, and I'm on the board of that organization, um, that uh, has sort of started certifying farmers markets that um, allow only Arkansas-grown products. And um, there was a big problem, especially with produce, not so much with meat, but uh, with people sort of bringing in just tons of stuff from, say, Florida uh, in the early spring, right before strawberries would, uh, you know, local strawberries would hit and kind of flood in the market early. And um, so a lot of farmers got uh, sort of, um, oh, uh, discouraged and started their own markets. And so now there's these... uh, you know, several certified Arkansas farmers markets that are only selling products that are grown by the farmer and in Arkansas. Um, and then something we did was we, uh, I met Eric Wagner. Um, are you familiar with him from Athens, Georgia? Um, he started the locally grown, the online marketing oh, program. Yeah. And um, what's that? 
We should get him on the radio one of these days. You should. He's great. He's done an amazing, it's pretty amazing what he's done. But anyway, um, he's a farmer slash uh, computer programmer in Athens, Georgia. And he started this program called Locally Grown, and you can check it out at locallygrown.net. And anybody can start their own online farmer's market. And um, we started the first one in Arkansas in 2008, and it was in Conway, and we um, basically you know, got a group of farmers together who were looking to market in, in Conway and uh, found a couple sympathetic local uh, community organizations that we thought would be interested in buying this kind of stuff and sort of kicked off the market and started off with probably, oh, eight farmers and maybe 25 customers, and today we have somewhere near, oh, I think it's 35 pushing 40 producers, and um, we have a listserv of over 800 customers. And each week we're getting orders of maybe 150 orders. And it's so been a, and a very popular village on the internet. What's that? Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's <laughs> really, uh, there's, it's spread to, um, uh, there's one in Little Rock, two in Little Rock now, and then uh, several others have sprouted out. And basically, what it is, it's a, it's an online farmers market that has a, um, a centralized pickup um, at you know a determined location. And each week on say Sundays, we have farmers list their products, and then customers have a couple days to put in their order, and they can. It's a lot like shopping at Amazon.com. They go through and, and pick and choose uh, what they want. They have descriptions and quantities and just add things to their cart. And then um, the farmers drop off uh, on Fridays. We've, we've partnered with a local uh, church, and they allow us to use their space for free to do this. And um, they, uh, the farmers drop off their stuff, and then um, customers come on Friday afternoons and pick up their, their items. And it's been, uh, I think the first year we did it in 2008, uh, we gross sales were about 25000 Last year we were close to 100000 in gross sales through the market, and this year we're certainly going to push probably 160000 or $170,000. Wow. That's good revenues from an internet site. Yeah, it really is, and it, you know some of the downsides, of course, uh, is you know a big part of this local food movement is built on relationships, right? And what we found, we've tried to find ways to sort of connect the farmer and consumer. And so what we do is um, uh, we have a, a local harvest dinner every fall. Uh, we had a potluck this year in June where we invite farmers and, and, and customers, um, and we have uh, we, we've done farm tours, um, cooking classes, um, things where we can get the farmers and, and customers together, and, um, and and also you know just trying to build community around this organization. We um, one another problem that I think the local food movement is facing is trying to get local foods into the hands of people who just don't have the money to purchase these kind of foods because they're often more expensive. And so what we've done there is we've, we charge a membership fee to our customers per year to use the program. And we're taking 20% of that membership fee and putting it towards, uh, giving it to a local food pantry. And then we allow our customers to make donations to that food pantry. And then that food pantry in turn, um, 
starts, they, they buy from the, mar- the farmers. And so uh, they place an order just about every week um, from the farmers, and that's been a really successful program. Yeah, but it's because when it turns to be, when it turns abstract and it's just a click of the mouse, that's challenge. It's a challenge to keep it real. That's true, uh, and I completely agree. And I don't think it's the answer. Uh, you know, I think there's just tons. I don't know what the you know, as a farmer looking to market. Um, it's certainly one of them, I think, and uh, it's very handy for customers. They don't have to get up to go to the farmers market if they don't want to necessarily. But uh, but yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's it is. Um, you know, they. You know, we often have farmers who are there at the market helping us distribute products, and so customers get to meet farmers there. But certainly not the kind of interaction that you would have from an on-farm sale or a, uh, um, uh, you know, at a farmers market. But uh, over time, if customers keep on coming back, they're going to start to meet their farmers and build those relationships, but just not as quickly. So it sounds like this intermediate solution. Let's talk about um, what's going on around you in this area, which is low population and low um, average income. What are the kind of predominant land uses and or land abuses that are that are that are happening locally? Like, why are there um, a whole a lot of, of livestock farmers farming. around there? What's the, uh, what? Yeah, a lot of livestock farming, uh, mainly cattle, and they sell through the industrial food chain. I mean, everything pretty much goes to the stockyard. Um, and so we're hoping to um, sort of prove that it can be done the way we're doing it uh, through, you know, direct marketing and raising animals in a sustainable manner that's, you know, good for the environment and the land and the, the, the customer, the end, you know, end user and the farmer. And, and, um, and then, you know, once we sort of demonstrate that it's possible, uh, that it is sort of, you know, it's an economically viable method of farming, then uh, we hope to encourage other farmers around here to uh, at least to consider making the switch. I mean, we, we've had, uh, you know, we, we take interns, and we have one, one from our first year of taking interns who uh, is considering coming back and sort of doing a, a pro, starting his own sort of farm on our, um, on some of the leased land that we use. Uh, we've, since we've begun, we started out with 40 acres, um, and we outgrew that, and this year we've uh, moved the farm to uh, about uh, it's a farm that's about 250 acres, and um, and it's more land than we can use at the moment. And so we're hoping to um, provide sort of an incubator space for other, especially young farmers, who are interested in doing this kind of stuff. Wow, moving right along. Um, and tell yeah, me about your really, uh, where you're getting you know, your feed from, and other kind of like. You guys are doing a lot of on-farm slaughter, it sounds like, but what's the, what's the infrastructure like? Um, sure. Uh, there's not much. Um, you know, as far as, like, the infrastructure uh, around us, you know, um, we have to, it seems like we have to reinvent the wheel every time we do something new. Um, processing is a problem. We have to drive about two hours to get to the closest USDA facility if we want to do something that's, you know, that we're going to sell by the cut or sell to a restaurant as far as the, the um, you know, pigs and beef go. Uh, we do all the poultry on the farm and operate under a, the USDA exemption. Um, and we, let's um, remind folks who are listening, what is that USDA exemption? Okay, well, you know, it's, the USDA exemption is, says that a farmer can process 
up to 20,000 birds, and I think it also includes rabbits, but don't quote me on that. In some states, rabbits, Um, and some states, not. Yeah, okay, yeah. It's very controversial, for sure. Um, and, uh, And each state is different. So the federal guidelines say that um, you can process up to 20,000 birds on the farm. Uh, it can only be uh, birds that you grew yourself. You can't process for other people. And then you can distribute those birds throughout within the state. Uh, you can't cross state lines. And uh, you're subject to inspection. And, um, and uh, the, uh, each state can, you know, a state can be more stringent, but they have to be at least as stringent as those federal guidelines. And Arkansas defers to the federal guidelines, and so we're able to do the 20,000 birds. We're not doing 20,000 chickens. We're doing about 9,000 this year. And so, and uh, and then we'll do maybe 600. You're doing 9,000 chickens, and you're charging about how much per pound, or exactly how much per pound? Uh, Per pound, it's 325. And we do source organic grain and GMO-free grain. Um, that's been a, certainly a headache, trying to find grain or a mill that would work with us and then trying to find organic and, and GMO-free. That comes from Kansas, so not super local. We're hoping to, in the future, one of our dreams, I guess, is to start to produce some of our, um, our own grain on the farm. And uh, the way the the uh, the meat chickens are just amazing fertilizers, and so they would really lay a great foundation for you know us to plant some corn down the road if we wanted to, or maybe some soybeans or wheat or barley, something like that. Um, and then so you're not uh, too slopey for that. Uh, it, well, there's plenty of flat spots. I mean, actually, the Ozarks is kind. Of, it was the Ozark Plateau really initially, and so there's the ridge tops are often fairly flat, and so. Um, this new farm we have has uh, certainly enough flat area for us to produce uh, at least some of our own grain. So exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be That's great. That, and how many years down the line? Is that gonna, have you got a plan, or are you just kind of shooting from the hip? What, would you repeat that, please? I said, have you got a plan, or are you just shooting from the hip? A plan for the grain or a plan for... In general. Well, a plan in general. Have you been planning this um, prog- progression towards um, sure. you know, covering the well, whole, the whole I mean, spectrum? Sure. Um, you know, we, in some sense, I mean, neither one of us, neither Andrea or I have any sort of serious business background. I mean, I have a degree in physics and hers is in outdoor education. And so uh, we certainly spend a lot of time planning, and we're trying to figure out sort of where, the, where that size is, where we're, we're – appropriate scale where we get some of the benefits of economies of scale, but we're not so big that we're just constantly, um, you know, at wit's end trying to keep up with everything. And so uh, we're still trying to work that out, and we feel like every year we've gotten closer. Um, You know, our thing is, like so many small businesses, and, you know, it's um, we've sort of been, you know, as we've grown and we've been growing very rapidly, we have all this infrastructure that we have to build, and and uh, it's been hard for us to sort of keep up with the cash flow. And so um, each year we've you know more than doubled it, and um, and so uh, we're I think next year is going to be our first year to kind of put the brakes on a little bit and say just kind of fine tune the machine. So it sounds like. Cash flow, once again, young, typical young farmer problem is like growing so fast and just getting mm-hmm. pretty leggy with your business and then 
chilling out. A lot of times people people make babies in that interval. Watch out. Yeah, I know. Well, we have one on the way, actually. <laughs> ah, so, there it is. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a Thanksgiving baby. And so, um, yeah, we uh, another reason why we're putting on the brakes a little bit. But, um, um, you know, we have a, my, my, actually I have a brother who help, who's uh, full-time on the farm at this point, and we have uh, a handful of employees that are great. And so, um, you know, we're definitely, um, you know, it's, it, it feels like we're starting to get our feet under us. Well, it's so nice to hear um, your happy voice on the phone with us today and on the radio with uh, our listeners. Um, again, this is Cody, and he's at um, Falling Sky Farm in Arkansas. Uh, do you want to just say uh, if there's anything, who, folks who are interested to learn more about farming in Arkansas, um, local organizations that they should tune into? Sure, yes. The, um, well, the, the Certified Arkansas Farmers Market Association is a good one. Uh, it's a great network of farmers. Um, and, uh, of course, the, uh, you know, if you're in the South at all and interested in farming, um, SOG, the Southern Sustainable Agricultural Working Group, is always a great resource. And then there's ATRA, which is, um, I don't know what the acronym stands for, but uh, they have a wealth of resources online. Well, and there's, so you know, there's the Heifer International here. And um, for doing what you're doing. Um, thank you all for coming along and joining us. Thank you to Hearst Ranch for sponsoring this episode. And um, I hope to see many of you soon at the Chautauqua, which is in Maine, in the middle of August, in the middle of Maine. Um, three days of work songs, seaweed harvesting, scything lessons, stonemasonry, um, bonfire at Common Ground, and other things. I'll talk about it more at the next episode. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Just shoot that trail, it's out of that movie, I...